Hey guys, RJ Clifford here, filling in for Jimmy Smith. Coming up on the Unlocking the Cage podcast, uh, two great interviews. One of them, a guy you're very familiar with, Luke Thomas. We talked about the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley rematch, the repercussions for Woodley and what this means for Jake Paul moving forward. And we talked to Bilal Muhammad just a few days removed from his dominant win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. What's next for him? And what would a Colby Covington, Bilal Muhammad trash talk look like? I've been on this channel a long time. This is Jimmy Smith's slot. But it still kind of smells like Luke Thomas's musk a little bit. Like, Luke was in this time slot for so long that I don't know if, like, that old people smell is off of the time slot yet. So I figured I'd bring him back and kind of refresh your nostrils a little bit. Uh, host of Morning Combat and CBS Sports, Luke Thomas. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I heard a conversation the other day when I was in Tampa of some girl who was probably very stupid. She was saying to her other friend, you know, I, I can't drive my car anymore. It doesn't have that new car smell. And um, I hated her for it. I don't know what the point of that story is, but I'm telling you that now, and it's not it's semi-relevant. How are you doing, RJ? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, certainly not as good as Jake Paul after, uh, after what he did Saturday night. Um, on a scale of like 1 to 10, how shocking was that to you that he was, out, he was able to just completely flatline a former UFC champ? Six, maybe at most. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say definitely on the more surprising end, but not. I'm not as surprised as others. I I I had interviewed Tyron a couple times through this whole process in Cleveland and here, and he he didn't obviously obviously Cleveland he didn't know, but he wasn't dismissive of the idea that Jake Mm -hmm. could have power. Maybe he got some inside information, and then when we talked to him this past week before the fight, he actually compared it to Robbie Lawler. Uh, Hmm. So. I thought he was exaggerating a little bit, but you could tell he was talking about it very, I would say reverentially, but, you know, very uh, uh, complimentary. And uh, so a little bit surprising, but not too much. How embarrassed should MMA fans be of this? Because we've all got, like, you know, uh, by, like, casual MMA-watching friends, like, you know, they, I'm sure you're the same way, Luke, like, they go to you. They're like, oh, wow, like, can you believe this? Like, oh, my God, I can't, you know. Is MMA striking so terrible that Jake Paul was able to knock out Tyron Woodley? And I mean, you and I know the size difference, the age difference, the, you know, T Woods losing streak, you know, Jake Paul training exclusively boxing versus MMA training MMA boxing. Like, we all know, like, the, you know, the body of the email, but the title of the email is Jake Paul knocks out UFC champion. I mean, mm-hmm. what's, been, what's been your finger on the pulse on how MMA fans have felt about this? Yeah, I mean, MMA fans really can't stand Jake Paul. He has somehow supplanted Mayweather uh, as, like, maybe the most hated guy by MMA fans who, you know, every time you see any article about him, A, they're wondering why you're covering him, which is not altogether unfair. But then the subsequent questions are, why doesn't he fight down a weight? Or why is he picking on older guys? And blah, blah, blah. So, you know, how do they feel? It's, it's a little bit of a different question. But I can tell you how the market feels, right? So here is. Here is what I think is pretty true about. Well, let me ask you: Are you are you saying that uh, the MMA fans' view of what is happening is distinct from the broader public? Like, exactly what are you asking? So, my buddies who watch MMA casually, they go to me as like their expert, right? It's like, oh my god, like, and they're all just like, oh my god, MMA striking shit. Jake Paul's knocked out two of your guys, right. and my thing's like, right. well, here's thirty-seven reasons why that's not. Well, it's true, but here's like 37 reasons why it's not that black and white. Okay, so here's what I would say. Jake Paul's biggest achievement, and the, the way you worded it there, his biggest achievement in embarrassing MMA is not really with his fists. His biggest achievement 
related to that is by basically doing what he's doing overall, getting guys who have uh, athletic credentials, the public respects, but who are otherwise quite beatable and are willing to basically sign up for activities that they've never really done it because they're, you know, somewhat at least desperate for a payday. Certainly you could argue that the fact that fighter pay has been historically low for so many of them makes what Jake Paul was doing, even if it's a losing proposition, quite attractive. Now, to your point, he's, he's, you know, he's the epitome of cherry-picking. And I had this debate with my co-host, Brian Campbell, on our show, and you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen if these guys keep losing. Maybe nothing other than fighter pay will continue to be a story that enriches Jake Paul and makes MMA look bad. But I have to say, like, if enough of these guys keep losing – you know, the insider in MMA can say to themselves, well, it's not Perion or it's not Israel Adesanya, and that's fine. But, like, are we really to believe you could do this for the next five years or something and this won't change the way the public overall views MMA and like, what consequences that carries? Like, cultural prominence is a function of to what degree people value it. Um, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen on that front. But, yeah, dude, MMA is not looking awesome through this, quite candidly. Yeah, thank God for Anderson Silva. And beating Julio Cesar Chavez in Mexico. That's our one thing we can hang our hat on. Um, you, you brought up fighter pay, and it's clearly a massive discussion point with the UFC and, and you know, the, the proportion of money, of, you know, of profits that fighters get versus the UFC. But it's kind of weird because the fighters that are making the transition are the ones that have made millions. Like Conor McGregor is the richest MMA fighter ever, and he crossed over a box Mayweather. Tyron Woodley made millions of dollars. He was on, he was, he got pay-per-view points on Conor McGregor pay-per-views. He's made millions of dollars. Anderson Silva's made millions of dollars, and they're still taking these boxing fights and kind of like putting their reputations on the line in a sport that's not theirs. So I, I don't know if this is really an indictment of MMA fighter pay when the richest MMA fighters are the ones doing it. Right, but the richest, I mean, this is why the argument about fighter pay gets so confused. Fighter pay in the public's consciousness is a function of some kind of sob story where, hey, look at this fighter who had to start a GoFundMe to pay for their training camp, or they, they win and then they beg for a bonus because their power's been turned off, or you know, some kind of other story of financial destitution. People read those stories, and they think that's the classic case of a UFC fighter being underpaid. And certainly, those are like uh, troubling stories, but the reality is the most underpaid guy in that company is Conor McGregor. You know, one of the most underpaid guys in that company is John Jones. These are guys who have generated hundreds of millions of dollars. And were they on some kind of compensatory scale that was even approximating what their uh, boxing brethren get or even uh, other athletes who have obviously labor organizations on their behalf, which, you know, UFC fighters don't. I'm just saying something even remotely more equitable would raise their pay in, in, in utterly significant ways. And so – um, uh, yeah, guys who have tasted a little bit of that market power, Diaz, Masvidal sort of chopping it up now as well, uh, McGregor, whoever you want to say, these are guys who have done well for themselves relative to their peers. But I think they also realize that, like, you know, how can we maximize this, this space and time? You know, Diaz has much more of a boxing frame. It's interesting, dude. I'm sorry going a bit of a tangent, but I talk to managers on occasion now, and if they've got a champion in their stable, I cannot tell you how different the conversation is that when you talk to someone in a boxer stable who's a champion, the mm -hmm. boxer is trying to find every possible way to extend their payday time, right? But the yeah. MMA fighter is looking to get their money two, three, four times maybe, and then absolutely get out of the sport. 
They have, they are trying to find the exit as quick as possible. And so to your point, part of this is just a boxing sensibility about boxing realities and, and, and self-actualization and leverage that way. Um, but, you know, to be clear, they're chasing more money because they've earned a lot more and they have, haven't, haven't received it. Yeah, I'm with you, Luke Thomas, here on Unlocking the Cage. I think it's also, like, not just the number, but, like, oh, wow, I get I get this much? I get X percentage of gate? Or I get this amount of a pay-per-view? It's like, wow. Like, it's, it's also just not just, you know, these MMA fighters who may have may or may not have, you know, millions of dollars in the bank from their fights in the UFC. It's, like, just how they feel about their place in boxing. It's like, wow, I can go into boxing, and now I'm, I get all this leverage, and I can negotiate these things that I can never negotiate with the UFC. It's got to be an eye-opener for so many fighters. Yeah, I mean, Jake Paul has a huge responsibility for folks who don't realize. I didn't even, I have to tell you, when Showtime told me this, I was skeptical. And then I went to, and I've, I've been for both fights there. Jake Paul's MVP, like when they say he, he, he gets 50% of the checks, they're not lying. But they're, what they're not telling you is he, he has 50% of the responsibility. Like, for example, I didn't, you guys didn't notice, I didn't notice until I started working on them. That open workout was not a Showtime open workout. That was an MVP open workout that Showtime broadcasted. His company has to set all of that up from the logistics of the ring to who's going to be there. They hired a bunch of Instagram models to be there. You guys probably saw him with, um, you know, they have to schedule all of this, the weigh-ins. They, that, was, that was an MVP thing. That wasn't anything else. So, you know, you have more responsibility, but you just become a more, like what you say and how you want it to look and who you are defines the complexion of everything so much more in these broad, dramatic ways where in the UFC, everything is, uh, not entirely catered to their interests. Obviously, it's a bit of a, a, a you know a dance with their independent contracting fighters, but there's significantly more oversight, and it's their ethic and their self-image uh, sort of projected everywhere. And then on top of that, obviously, it comes with the checks, and you know, in, in terms of access to the media, there's a lot of stuff that's just sort of done for you. And yeah, you get treated. You know, it's like a little bit. Uh, this is an exaggeration, coach to first class, but there are just on the airline, but there are just certain kind of um, uh, bigger checks, yes, and so more responsibility, but there's just a lot more caring about uh, that particular one uh, main adventure, whether it's the A or B side, again, relatively speaking. How do you feel about Tyron Woodley now, his legacy, him as a fighter, after going 0-2 and getting knocked out by Jake Paul? I mean, you know, again, you go back to this and it's like, Yes, he made some good money, and there is there a decent chance that um, you know he spent it in ways that was not all that great. Certainly, it seems like a possibility. You know, my rule on this, RJ, and this is and truly how I feel. This is why the fighter pay issue is kind of like an important one for me because the fight game is gross, and even when the guys do really well, they end up broken after it's all over. I think the least that we can do is just pay them what they're owed. And then they may screw that up. They may not. I don't know. But it really feels like we we got to give. We, we owe it to him. We owe it to him. It's too much of a sacrifice, and there's just too much that they have a cost that they have to bear that we can't financially compensate them fairly. It's it's the most important thing I think in some ways we could do. And so if 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 this like new life that he's got extends, um, you know, his earning potential in dramatic ways, I'm not really against that. Obviously. But, dude, I don't think he should be fighting, man. I don't. And I say that as a guy who covered the high point of his career when he was the best welterweight on earth. He is, at worst, the fourth best welterweight ever. Um, he had a spectacular career, and I didn't know he was going to achieve that when he got viciously KO'd by Neymar Gordon Strikeforce. But lo and behold, it is exactly what he did. But, 
But, dude, like, he hasn't thrown, not just, like, in the last few fights, but in years at this point. And the one fight he did against Luke, he got viciously, well, stopped. He got rocked and then, you know, submitted. And then he had this one. Like, I just don't believe that. Uh, he, he's such a talented self-promoter that he might be able to, to continue what he's doing and make money. But I just don't understand how people can watch what, what he might do uh, if he takes another fight and then think that, like, oh, now the floodgates of offense – Will open. Dutaran's a great athlete. He's a he's, he's a smart guy. He's he was you know he was for the most part not always but for the most part he was fun to cover. Um, but I don't I, I don't really wish further damage on him. And I think if he keeps going, that's that's what he's going to find. It's a weird balancing act. Um, just you know, just when I put my fan hat on on Tyron Woodley because you're like, okay, he's getting two big paychecks with the stakes lower than ever. Right, he's not fighting for a UFC title. He's fighting a YouTuber in a sport that's not his own. The stakes couldn't be lower in that sense. But at the same time, like if you're stepping into the ring, like that's why we love combat sports so much and sports in general is because the stakes are there. If you win, you get all this glory. If you lose, you have egg on your face, and that's part of that's a big part of the appeal, and that's part of the self promotion. That's part of the storyline going into this fight. Where T Wood hates Jake Paul, and Jake Paul hates T Wood, and they you know they kissed and made up after, but. It has to come with some sort of cost. And I want to say, like you, Luke, he just made a bunch of money after a really hard career where he was underpaid. That's a good thing. But on the flip side, I can't watch him get knocked out and, and put his nuts on the line and have it not go his way and not say, you you put your nuts on the line and they got smashed. Like, it's got to cost you a little bit. Well, I think the bigger challenge that he might face, to your point, is merely, you know, um, you know, it's funny, right? Like, I don't know what the right answer is because I don't run one of these companies, but one of the differences between, for example, UFC and Showtime is that Showtime will put out the results of something on social media right away. You know what I mean? Like, so they turned that Tyron Woodley knockout. They only, I mean, they just threw gasoline on TikTok, gasoline on Insta and YouTube, and it just blew up in the most obvious of ways. And then you add to that, I mean, people are not talking about it, but dude, that fight sucked before the KO. <laughs> It was awful, awful. And the first fight, I didn't think the first fight was all that great. You can go back and look at my my post-fight show. I didn't think it was that great. So here's what I think Tyron might be up against. It's just like, dude, what? He was on a big stage. And again, Tyron is a very, very capable self-promoter. But if someone is just being honest with themselves, like I'm not even trying to hate, just being honest with themselves a little bit. It's like, dude, what about this time would make you think he's got offense? Like yeah. you, the, 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 you've seen the, we've seen Ernest goes to jail. We've seen Ernest goes to camp. We've seen Ernest goes to the moon. We've seen Ernest. We've seen all the Ernest. I get, I get, I get the story at this point, right? It's a little bit like yeah. that. Like I've seen, I've seen all these permutations. So uh, I think if, uh, he's gonna, he might have a little bit of difficulty. We'll see, but he might have a little bit of difficulty convincing a promoter, at least to do a long term deal with him. Um, there might be some challenges there. Easily the most disappointed my dad was in me was nine, ten-year-old RJ demanding that we go to Blockbuster and get Ernest movies. And he's just like just shaking his head and rubbing his temples. He's like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this kid? Uh, I understand. I know. Well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pick my kid up from an underpass in 15 years. What has happened? <laughs> but no, you're, you're doing all right. Uh, last question. Uh, Derek Lewis, is he the best bad fighter in MMA history? He might be, dude. He's, he is. He, he is so funny. You know, I was trying to think about that. Like, who would be, like, a better version of being a bad fighter? I, 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 I'm not 
There might be some other ones you could throw in there, like maybe a Cabbage Correa or whatever. But even when you think about some of those guys, dude, they just didn't have Derrick Lewis's run. Derrick yeah. Lewis has noteworthy losses, right? We, we're all familiar with them, but most recently the Gone one. And the Daniel Cormier one was bad. And sometimes when he has these losses, like they're authoritative and like he's never really in them. But, dude, like, he, is, he understands I, – I honestly believe this. Never thought, but I truly believe, just watching this for long enough, it's the, sometimes the better fighter is not the guy who actually has more skill, but just understands who he is and what has to happen in a fight for him to become the best version of himself. And sure. Derek Lewis is absolutely that guy, dude. He doesn't have the greatest, you name it, jiu-jitsu or defensive wrestling or whatever. You want to say there's a lot of stuff. But he knows what he does have, and he finds ways, and certainly in this Dawkins fight, to take a very good, talented, up-and-coming uh, heavyweight, and he couldn't even make it out of the first effing round against him because he was able to control the space and let his strengths come to life. He's smart, he's talented, he's limited, but he's crafty, and, and crafty is enough. And he has changed the post-fight speech game more than anybody. Like people say, like, oh, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor never reached into his jock, pulled out his cup, and turned it in the best souvenir that ever appeared at UFC Apex. Game changer, Derek Lewis. Yeah, yeah, that's him. I agree. He's certainly uh, a special case in many regards. All right, his name's Luke Thomas. Uh, you know who he is. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at L Thomas News, and of course, watch him on Morning Combat, host of that, and uh, all things uh, CBS Sports over there. Luke, congratulations on your success. Thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. Same to you, RJ. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, man. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray, and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Uh, Derek Lewis and Jake Paul stole the headlines, obviously, on Saturday, but another huge win in the welterweight division. Um, Wonderboy Thompson had been one of the best welterweights in mixed martial arts for the half decade. He had given up a total of five takedowns in his last 14 <coughs> fights combined. A total of five in his last 14 fights combined. He gave up two to Tyron Woodley, gave up three to Gilbert Burns, Bilal Muhammad took him down five times in seven minutes on Saturday. So I had to see what the secret recipe was for success. Joining us now, Bilal Muhammad. How you doing, bud? Uh, what's up, brother? That was, that was a good hype page right there. I was like, all right, I need to have you in my corner. <laughs> well, you, normally, like, math doesn't do, like, the best hype, you know? It's like, oh, let me bust out an <laughs> abacus and show you how cool Bilal Muhammad is. But this is what I've been saying for a long time. Is like, people are like, oh, man, Wonder Boy, he can't wrestle. Uh, yes, he can. He can. He can fight takedowns because that's all he's been doing in the UFC since he's been there. Training with Chris Weidman, getting better at it. Um, Gilbert Burns kind of laid the blueprint, and then you just absolutely demolished him like that. I mean, were you? Did you know that you were going to be able to do that to him on Saturday? Um, honestly, I knew that. Uh, I knew that a lot of people underestimate how good I am. A lot of people don't really know when they think about me. They're a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh well. It's not going to be that hard. I'm going to walk through him. And a lot of people thought that. And I think that Wonderboy thought that, too, with the way he was talking about Usman the whole week, saying, yeah, you know, Usman, after this fight, I, I knock him out and I fight Usman because Usman hasn't fought anybody like me. And people don't realize how good I am. And I'm good everywhere. And my grappling, 
is something that a lot of people didn't know about. They, they knew about my wrestling defense when I fought Maya, but they didn't know about my offense. And I could do that mm-hmm. too. I don't need to have them accolades of being a, a division one national champ or anything like that. Like I understand MMA. I know how to wrestle. I know how to fight. I know how to punch. I know how to grapple. And I know how to put it all together but better than anybody in the division, I think. When you when you were fighting Wonder Boy, um, did it feel like how you fought how you thought the fight would go? Like did it did it did it go exactly kind of how you thought? Okay, we game planned this type of fight, and that's how and that's how it went down. I mean, honestly, no, because it was like when you're fighting a guy like Wonder Boy, you're you see him against all these great guys, and you're looking at him against guys who try to take him down and they can't take him down. And then you see them against Gilbert Burns, and everybody's like, "Well, it's going to be easy. Just take him down. Do what Gilbert did to him." And I'm like. No fight is ever easy. And a guy like that who's fought for the title twice, you're like, this guy is long. He's lengthy. He does crazy things with his legs. He could just kick you for uppercut from right in front of your face. And stuff goes to your head. You're like, man, is he going to knock me out? Am I going to be on his highlight reel? Am I going to – is he going to sprint in and, and hit me with something crazy? Um, and especially coming off loss, you know that he's going to be motivated. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was my plan A to wrestle. My plan A was going to be in there. All right, we'll see where the takedown takes us. And then my plan B was going to be like, all right, well, we're going to, if we have to bang with him, we have to bang with him. We're going to be in his face. But none of it was staying outside and strike. Everything, all my plans were to be right in his face the whole time for a full 15 minutes, make it uncomfortable for him and not give him any room or any space. Plan A worked the best and I didn't have to move to any other other plans. So (laughs) it worked out perfect for me. Yeah, because it seemed like he, like, technically knew what to do with a lot of the take right like fight the underhook sprawl get the wizard like i feel like technically he knew the positions to be in he just couldn't like grit through those like toughy gray areas it's kind of what kind of what it felt like to me do you agree yeah yeah i mean like i said i I just think when you look at me like i'm not one of those six foot tall dudes six foot six or has great one one punch knockout power but i'm very strong and a lot of guys Mm -hmm. don't feel that strength until they're actually in there with me and then it surprises a lot of them. So they'll, they'll be like, wait, what the heck? Oh, I didn't know he was like this. Uh, but, yeah, I think it was just one of those things where you're, he just came from fighting a guy like Gilbert Burns, who is a, a, just a world champion, all these accolades, things like that. He probably thought this was going to be a step down uh, mm. fighting me because I don't have any of those huge accolades or anything like that. But and he was surprised. You are under the radar one of the most bricked-out welterweights in the UFC. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you had if you had Kamaru Usman's skin tone, we'd be like, all right, this is the buffest dude at 170. But you know, you don't. You got some chest hair. It kind of hides the pecs and shoulders a little bit. It's like, it's it's sneaky. It's sneaky how buff you are. Yeah, a lot of people sleep on it. They'd be like, wait, what the heck? And then uh, uh, my legs are like my biggest thing. And people are like, when they start seeing little pictures, that wait, wait, what? You wait, what are you what are you even doing? I was like, dude, I don't think my body's changed at all. Like, I've been looking the same. Are you a huge weight room guy? Like, do you like max out your bench and stuff just to keep track? This is actually like the first, uh, when I was younger, I would, I would do nothing but weights. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is the first camp I've actually, uh, used a weight trainer and stuff like that. I got into strength and conditioning now, especially cause you know, when you get to the higher uh, guys in the division, higher in the rankings, I'm like, all those guys are strong. So I'm like, right, well, let me just start adding more weights into my, my training regimen. And, uh, I think it paid off a lot. Like I got a lot stronger and just getting back to my old days, like, cause like when I was younger, you know, I literally just wanted to lift, just lift. Like I used to yeah. be able to bench 315 pounds, like 10 times. And I was like, in, I was like 150 pounds in high school. And I was like, man, I got to go back to that. God damn. 
That's yeah. too small feet. Jesus. Uh, Bilal Muhammad here on Unlocking the Cage. I'm RJ Clifford. So it, it, there's this weird thing in the UFC where for a fighter to get into like the top 15 or the top 10, they just got to keep fighting and winning, right? If you, if you put together win streaks, you'll get there. You'll get into the rankings. But getting into the top five, top four, top three is so much more difficult because there's almost like you have to – you have to lobby for a shot because those all those guys in that in that realm they're like one fight away from a title shot. They don't want to risk their spot, and so breaking into that top five, there's this like weird glass ceiling. Have you is that true? And have you felt that for you? Yeah, I think it's one of those where it's like there's a lot of politics once you get higher. Like none of those sure. guys are gonna want to fight. They all want to just they want to plant and tent out at their uh, ranking or come up with excuses or like they could you know I mean nowadays there's so many ways you could get out of a fight without mm -hmm. like saying you really don't want that fight and a lot of guys were like that with Wonderboy. a lot of guys didn't want that Wonderboy fight he's a hard puzzle to solve and a lot of these guys kept saying no to that and right away i'm like yes because i knew that was my shot that was my shot to get into the top five i had my shot earlier this year when i when i knew that i would have to take a short notice fight to fight a guy like leon edwards because i'm like that's the way to skip the line that's the way to to, to get ahead is you got to be ready at all points to, to step up and I know that was my only way to get into the top five. And now, luckily, Wonderboy is one of those guys, you know, after that last loss against Gilbert Burns, he kind of, like, had to – he already fought basically everybody in the top five. So he had to go a little bit lower. And I'm glad that he gave me that shot. And uh, I respect mm -hmm. him for that. So you called for a title shot with uh, Kamara Usman next. Um, I don't – I don't know how realistic that is. I mean, crazier things have happened, certainly. I mean, you've got, you know, set seven fight un unbeaten streak, right? I think you've won, like, 11 of your last 12. Like, obviously, the record's there. Um, but do you feel like you're going to be one of those avoided fighters now? Like, the guys in the top five aren't going to want to give you that shot? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I obviously call for it, but it was more so, like, I, I'm pretty sure I need at least one more to get in there. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just call it because I want to be in the conversation. You know, the, the bosses have four weeks off. I want them to discuss my name in there. Well, who's Kamara going to fight? Because they're always talking about, well, Kamara needs to go up to to fight uh, Israel Adesanya now. And I'm like, bro, why? He fought yeah. Kobe twice. He fought Masvidal twice. And he fought Gilbert once. That's three guys that he's fought. It's not like he sat there and he beat the whole top five. He beat 10 guys in a row uh, that are all ranked. So, like, I, I think they just need to stop at the rematches. But for me, I think there's a lot of fights above me that make sense. Like, I mean – me and Kobe makes sense. I've been calling that guy out for uh, 10 years. Uh, and him coming off a loss to the champion, it makes sense. So, like, that fight would really, would really make sense. Leon, if he's going to sit out and 10 out and uh, and wait for the title fight, whatever, go ahead. Uh, but, like, I think the Kobe fight really makes sense. I think Masvidal makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, he's, he's underneath me at six, but, you know, he's a big name. He's an exciting fight. I think that one would uh, really make sense. And then, you know, the boogeyman, the guy that Dana White says nobody wants to fight, Kamzat. I think that one makes a, a, a lot of sense, not really ranking-wise, but based off of hype. He has mm -hmm. that McGregor hype. He has that, that, that guy that the fans think is untouchable. The fans think that he's already the champion, the uncrowned champion. So if yeah. I go in there and I beat a guy like him, there is no – there's nothing else you can say. Like I steal all of his shine, steal all of his followers, steal all of his hype. And, like, you know, they're always, oh, well, all you did was hold down Wonder Boy. All, all you did was defend Maya's takedowns. Like, all right, well, you guys think Kamzad uh, is the, the Robocop, so if I beat him, then what are you going to say? Yeah. Is there any part of you um, that's worried if you fought Colby Covington 
with the way that he fight promotes and trash talks and you being Palestinian and your last name Muhammad, that this would get like over the top uncomfortable for all parties involved. I mean, this like just the trash talk he did against Tyron Woodley was like a little uncomfortable at times. And then now going against you, Bilal, I'm almost got, I wonder if the UFC's like, dude, I don't even think we can we could do this. Like we could not muzzle we could not muzzle this guy and he fights Bilal. Uh, honestly, like I would love that just because I love trash. Like, I want to have that fight okay. where, because I'm, a, I literally embarrass him with talk, with words. Like he's one of those guys that stumbles. You can tell that he writes all of his stuff down and he forgets a lot of his things. And a lot of my stuff is just quick witted on on the point. So like it'll be one of those where like I'm gonna make him look really stupid if uh, he wants to go that route of trying to talk trash. Does does that type of trash talk for from him, um, especially someone you know someone like you, is that? out of bounds is that is that too far or do you think it's fight promotion so it's just all part of the game no i mean honestly it's for for me it's it's all fun like it, i'm okay. one of those guys that, like i'm from the south side of chicago all we do is trash talk. So uh yeah. like dc so i'm a locker room guy i like my boys my me we're always joking around making fun of each other like it's it's all fun and games to me so it don't really matter and like i said he's not good at it like if he was actually yeah. good at it you're saying stuff that like was making me get red in the face. Then I'd be like, oh, you know, what the heck? But, like, I know he's going to be terrible at it. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Bilal Muhammad here on a Tuesday. This is Unlocking the Cage. RJ in for Jimmy. Um, along kind of those same lines, uh, you had a heckler in the Apex that you called out specifically. Uh, you didn't seem like it was just fun fight promotion at that time. Um, you're, la- you're laughing now, which is good. What was – do you know who it, who it was? What were they saying? Like, what was going on there? Man, I, I don't know who it was, but I was just like, you know, it's quiet in there, so you hear everything. And the guy was just screaming, like, uh, get off and, like, call me gay words and stuff like that. Like, hey, it can be considered a hate crime. Like, why are you yeah. just uh, banging on? Why don't you pull your pants? It's stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, bro, and, like, you want to look up, like, man, like, you just want to stop. And, like, wait, what? Yeah. And, but it's like, all right, it's all good. And I, I don't know if he's, uh, I'm pretty sure he's not. Connected to Wonder Boy because I don't think Wonder Boy would hang out with some uh, weirdos like sure. that, but it's all good. It's weird how, like, sometimes certain fighters, despite being, like, really upstanding dudes, get really <laughs> shitty fans sometimes. It's like Chuck Liddell, most upstanding guy. Like, the things he's done for, like, charity and stuff in the media over the years, it's, like, it's, it's fantastic. But he had some, like, like when Rashad Evans beat him. Like some of the fans, it got super weird and awkward. And it's like, how do these, how do these great dudes get such shit fans sometimes? Yeah, it's cra- it's crazy. It's They're weird. like the exact opposite, man. It's like, it's like nuts. But no, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe Steven's one of those like hidden trolls on Twitter where he has a, a troll account <laughs> that he just goes secretly and he starts calling everybody out. That would be awesome if like super clean cut Wonder Boy Thompson was just like some Twitter troll with a bunch of burners, just like. <laughs> Getting on Reddit and like trying to trash talk people. That would be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be hilarious. So, um, were you? Did you and Tyron Woodley? You guys tr- did train together in the past, right? At, at Rufus Sport, you got. Were you guys there at the same time? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've trained with okay. Tyron Woodley before. Okay, so um, obviously he didn't have a great weekend on Saturday, or maybe he did, depending on on how much money he made. I mean, it looked. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a. Let's be frank, like a really brutal <laughs> knockout loss to a YouTuber. I mean, like, what do you make of your, of your, you know, your colleague getting flatlined like that? Uh, I mean, you know, you never want to see one of your boys lose. Uh, but like you said, it's like, I'm hoping, I know he's got, got paid very well for that fight. 
Uh, but it's, that's the fight game. Like we have to, we understand that he's been in the game for so long, and it's like you make one mistake. Honestly, you just I mean, maybe maybe uh, Jake Paul does got that power. Maybe he just does that. He is maybe he's not a YouTuber. Maybe he actually is a boxer. Maybe he's yeah. a boxer playing a YouTuber. Like who knows? <laughs> but uh, I mean, he just showed that he legitly has power, I guess. And then uh, Woodley doesn't seem like he's taking it that bad. He seems like he's very uh, cool on uh, social media and stuff like that. Playing playing it off. Um, obviously it's still going to hurt and tarnish your, your legacy being a former UFC champion, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing when you're in this game a little bit too long, eventually father time takes hold. Do you like, what do you make of fighters? Um, you know, former UFC champions, like, you know, top five UFC welterweight, uh, of all time, you know, Tyron Woodley. And then he's kind of basically almost like selling his legacy for these like freak show boxing match YouTuber fights. Like, do you, what do you make of that? You're like, Hey, it's, he can do whatever he wants. If he gets paid big money, no big deal. Or do you feel like it's a, it's a tarnish to his legacy and kind of downgrades how fans look at him? I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, what are you doing it for? What are you fighting for? What are you fighting for your legacy? Or are you fighting for the money and the entertainment value and mm-hmm. to sell a show? Cause obviously, you know, fighting a, a YouTuber and getting views like that, that's going to open up other doors for you. Maybe, maybe movie deals or uh, other TV deals that, that, you know, he's involved in with Hollywood and things like that. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure that he's not, he's not dumb. He's, he's, he's picking the right path and choosing the right things. He's a smart businessman. So he knows what he's doing and the reasons why he's doing it. A lot of people don't know. There's a lot of things probably going behind the scenes that people don't know about uh, and what's happening. So I'm sure that, there's puzzle pieces that people are going to start putting together and figuring out like, Oh, he did this because of this or that because of this. All right. Well, his name is Bilal Muhammad seven fight unbeaten streak. Absolutely crushing it in the welterweight division. Biggest one of, of your career. I don't think that's hyperbole to say, uh, certainly is going to open up big things for you. Um, when do you want to get back in the cage? And, and do you think like, how long do you think it'll take you to get a title shot? Um, honestly, like I, I have no injuries. Uh, I got a couple teammates. I got a couple fights coming up, so I'm gonna have to get back in the gym uh, within the next week. Uh, but uh, hoping to get something maybe February, uh, March. Just want to stay active. Just want to keep it, keep the momentum going. Uh, but I think depending on who the next fight is, I think I get one more win and I, I'm next in line. I think. Beautiful. Well, certainly the win streak speaks for itself. Bilal, thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck. And uh, 2022, going to be your year. I can feel it. Yes, sir. Thank you, my brother. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.